0: Rosh Kislev, we are going to study Perek Shishi, the sixth chapter of Ilchot Teshuvah. Rambam, this chapter deals. It's a continuation of the subject of freedom of choice, which is pretty much the central topic of Teshuvah, and the central reason for Teshuvah to reacquire freedom of choice, and it will Arambam will explain how to understand certain things in the Torah which seem to contradict what we said in chapter 4. There is several Pesukim in the Torah and in the words of the prophets, which seemingly contradict what we explained of there being absolute freedom for man to determine his own choices. And many people mis- read this pesukim mistakenly. And it would seem to them, to these people who are mistaken from this pesukim, that God decrees upon man to do good or bad. Adam and that. Man's heart, man's choice, is not his to do whatever he may want. gadol which is why I come to explain now a very important principle, a very important rule, from which you'll be able to understand all of these pesukim. echad When a person, an individual, or a community in a city does something wrong, and decides to do something from his own or from their own, they freely choose this bad choice. Like we explained, that that choice is given to man. Now, the consequence, this person deserves a negative consequence because of this. It's appropriate that there be a negative consequence. And God obviously knows what's the appropriate consequence for each bad choice. <coughs> של האדם הקטנים שאין ככניה נוהן, כתוב איש עד איש. There is some transgressions for which the consequence occurs in this world. And the consequence of this might be the, the person's possessions, or the person's own body, or the person's little children. And I know this is very, very, very harsh. It's very hard for me as, as a father of Baruch Hashem's three children to, to hear this and to speak about this like this. But we have to understand, culturally, we are a good 800 years apart from Harambam. And back in the day, the children, little children, would not have the same, they would not evoke the same kind of emotion that they do now. So just put, try to suspend any judgment based on our culture today, what Harami is saying here is that a person's own children are really his possession in the sense that if anything, God forbid, happens to them, it's really something happening to him, to the father, not to the children. In other words, Harami is explaining here, in a very indirect way, subtly, uh, how how come or or on account of whom can things happen to little children. So I, I just want to open another parenthesis because it's important. Rambam has a letter to Hakmel Unil in which he explains why things happen in the world. And he explains the the parameters of what we understand as divine supervision. Um, a question would be, does God want a particular leaf to fall from a tree? Or another question, if I fall from a ladder and I hurt my leg, did God want me to hurt my leg at that point? And just to sum it up in a very simplistic way, so I I, I urge you not to take this too seriously because it deserves hours and hours of discussion and of study and of preparation before that study. It's uh, as if Kori Ulam wants this world to follow certain rules. There is a programming to this world, and that is God's will, that the world follows this programming. And not every particular outcome that comes out of that programming was particularly, particularly designed by God with a certain meaning. After the fact, we can give meaning to it. But let me explain. So back to the, the case of someone falling off the ladder, The Gemara itself, I believe it's in Masachat Kiddushin, says someone who fell off a ladder and and died, this was due to the fact that the ladder was bad. The ladder was faulty. The ladder broke. Bore Olam created the world, the code of which God wrote. And in that code, part of the program is that when a ladder is not good, someone might fall and someone might die. So I'm not saying everything bad that happens is as a punishment. Not every rectangle is a square, but every square is a rectangle. So everything that Bore Ulam does particularly to uh, minors, to minors, to little children, it would not be because of these little children. Why is that? Because little children don't yet have anything on which to be punished. They didn't have responsibility. So if anything happens to them as a punishment, and again, not everything that happens is a punishment, but if anything happens to them as a punishment, it's because of their parents, because they are an extension of their parents. And the Torah says, every man dies only for his own misdeeds and, Hachamim learned from this, this is only talking about men, about someone who is no longer a minor, but someone who is not yet a man, something might happen to them on account of someone else. Okay, so this was a pretty lengthy side point. There is other misdeeds for which God might decide that the consequence is... After, upon death, after the death, after the end of his life, and mom will explain in the last chapters what that means, what is ulama ba what is the alternative, etc. And nothing will happen to the person in this world. And some some misdeeds have the consequence in this life and after this life. When are we saying that there is a consequence for someone who has transgressed? So long as a person did not do teshuvah, but if a person does teshuvah, the teshuvah acts like a curtain, shielding the person from any negative consequence. <clears throat> and I think it's worthwhile to remember the word kapara, as we explained, kapara means a covering. So. Another way of saying a covering, kapara is tris lifneha pur'anut. It's something that shields a person from bad consequences. When we spoke about kapara being a covering, we spoke about one kind of negative consequence that it might have, namely the psychological effects of having having made a bad choice. There is other, but also in terms of the psychological effect, the kapara would be acting as tris lifneha pur'anut. And just like the first, the original choice to transgress was given to the person, and this was done freely, so too the choice of doing teshuvah can be made freely. And it's possible that a person engages or makes a very grave bad choice or a series of bad choices, so much so that God's decision is that a person is unable. To do the from this bad choice. For some reason, my page is jumping. Bear with me. It continues jumping. I'm sorry, I have technical difficulties here. The page of Harambam is jumping and it's not letting me stay where it is. Just bear with me a few seconds. Anyone who's listening on the podcast, probably a good idea to put plus 15 seconds right now. Let me see if refreshing helps. Okay, we are back. <clears throat> and and by making the person unable to change his ways and to do Teshuvah, the person will then die, the yovad, and will find his perdition, his doom in the very mistakes that he's done. These very mistakes sometimes become his own, become his own perdition, become his own destruction. And this is an example of that is what the Kadosh Baruch Hu says to Yeshayahu chapter 6, which is the Avtara of Parashat Yitro, Hashmen lev ha'am hazeh ve'oznaf ha'kbed ve'aynav ha'sha' Let the heart of this nation become very fattened. Let the, their ears of Am Yisrael become heavy and their eyes become covered. Penir ebe ainav yishma ul'vavoy yavin vashav <Hebrew> v'ra'afhalo Lest... They see with their eyes, they see the truth, and with their ears, they hear, and with their heart, they understand, and then they do Teshuvah, and they are cured. In other words, i is saying, I'm going to prevent them from doing Teshuvah. And in Yivrei it describes another situation in which Am Israel were were mocking the messengers of God and they were disrespecting his words and <clears throat> and not believing his prophets until God's anger on his people caused them not to have any possibility of redemption. Klumar, Namely, willingly, they engage in some actions, in some misdeeds, in some transgressions that were so much, so grave, that the consequence for that was depriving them from Teshuvah, which is the cure that we are talking about. That's why it says in the Torah, and now Harambam cuts to the chase, he comes to the point, one of the most difficult parts of the Torah to, under, to reconcile with freedom of choice is what happens with Paro. It says in the Torah, God says, I will harden, harden the heart of Paro. What does that mean? Given that Paro was willingly, he willingly sinned at first, he willingly transgressed. He nobody pushed him to say that he's going to enslave Am Israel. And he behaved very badly with the Israelites that were transcerning, they were living, residing on his land, in his land. And that's the beginning of Parashat Shemot that Parashat uh, says to his people before before God was He's the one who Suas Ponte, by himself, comes with this idea and says, "Let, Let us outsmart them and let us enslave them. Then it was appropriate for God to prevent him from then ever going back from this bad path on which he had started going. And consistently, God strengthened, hardened his heart, preventing him from reverting from the choice that Paro had done, had made freely. <coughs> so now comes the next question. If that's the case, then what's the point of sending Moshe 10 times, trying presumably to make Paro change his mind? <laughs> And why would then God send Moshe and tell Paro, let them free or or go back from your bad ways if God already had foretold Moshe Rabbeinu that this would not happen? As it is said, Moshe says on the name of God to Paro, you and your servants, I've known that you do not yet fear God. You are not going to listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> or same thing. <clears throat> um, when, when, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu acknowledges to Parol, listen, we all knew that you wouldn't play along. But this is why you are still alive, in order to let me, says Hashem, show my might to the world. This all was done in a way, says Harambam, to teach us a very important principle. That when God deprives the transgressor from doing Teshuvah, deprives, the transgressor from doing the Shuvah. This becomes an impossibility. The transgressor can no longer do the Shuvah. Rather, the transgressor is going to end up finishing his life not having had the possibility of changing his behavior, his mind. The same happened with lo. Given the bad deeds that he had also before him God foreclosed the possibility of doing Teshuvah and of accepting letting Am Israel go through his territory and then Am Israel ended up conquering all of that land which is the Golan Heights. <coughs> And Moshe Rabbeinu tells us that God has had strengthened his heart. And so too, the rest of the nations of the land of Canaan, given their bad deeds, God did not let them, did not open their heart to agree to peace treaties with Am Israel, which would have let them stay without us conquering them. And he led them to actually start a war against us. As it says in Yoshua that it was from God that they had this spirit to try to fight us so that we fight them back and so that we destroy them, and so they are not a bad influence in Am Israel. So too, Israel in the time of Eliyahu, given how much they had sinned, Borei Olam did not permit them to do Teshuvah. Like when Eliyahu tells God, God, please give them another chance. You were the one who did not let them do Teshuvah. Please let them this time. I want to add, as a parenthesis, a personal note. I believe very strongly, and this is my personal belief, take it or leave it, that a modern analogy to this is what's happening today and has been happening for the last 70-some years in Edis Israel, with the, the Arabs living there not wanting to come to terms with uh, the with Jewish presence in the land. And otherwise, if, if they had, we will have long ago committed national suicide by giving more and more and more of our land and trying to integrate them in our midst, etc. etc. So just wanted to throw it out there. I think it's related to the okay. So now the conclusion is if you look at all of these cases that Rambam, you'll find that. Boreolam was not the one to instigate, par'o to first start uh, doing, acting badly towards Am Israel, nor Sihon to sin in in his own land, nor the Kena'anim, the Canaanites to do these disgusting actions they would do, like burning their children for Abu zarah, nor Am Israel to start doing avodah zarah. Rather, all of them started by themselves, and all of them they deserve the consequence of being prevented from doing Teshuvah. And now we are going to see the other side of this point. And on this, because of this, All the prophets, all the righteous people, on, in their Teshuvah, they always ask Borei Olam to also help them. So it's not only that Bore Olam prevents Teshuvah sometimes if a person Deserves it, but it's also boreh olam that permits teshuvah if a person deserves it, which is why it's something that is we may ask for in our tefillah, and as we say, Hashivenu abinu ledratecha every single day. Can Moshe David, like David Melech, said, "Horeni Adonai darkecha, please, God, lead me through Your path." Can I say, "Alim ne'oni ha'ta'ed as if to say, please, God, don't let my mistakes, my transgressions prevent me from the true path. From which I can know your ways and the, your, your oneness. Harambam uh, is being very, very precise here. He's throwing us here a golden nugget. Um, so David is saying, please, God, let me act correctly. And Harambam is saying, because by acting correctly, I can understand the way you act. And this is another principle that Harambam repeats over and over again. One may not know Hashem, one may not know his paths, unless first his own behavior, this person's own own behavior, is righteous and is right. It takes someone Rahum to perceive Bore Rahamim and so on and so forth. So, too, what David Hamelech said, and let a, a generous spirit support me or be, be my, 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 my spine, as if to say, Let my spirit be generous, in other words, be abundant, be powerful, let my spirit, let my election, my choice, my direction be strong enough. So that I can choose, I can be free to choose, and and not be foreclosed from acting or from choosing what I want. Don't let my sins, to prevent the teshuvah from me. Rather, let me have that dominion we spoke about in chapter four. Let me have that control over my life, over my choices. So that I can come back into Shuvah and I can understand and I can know the true path again, behavior causing this intellectual achievement, not the other way around. And so too, everything that is as this Pesukim. So, what is it that David Hamelech says? That God is righteous and he's the one who leads those who made mistakes on the right path. He's the one who directs anavim, the, the, the pious ones, the, the in other words, the, the humble ones, bamishpat, on the law, and He who trains the anavim, again the same word, darko, his ways. It sounds as though God is making the choice for them, right? No. What does it mean that God makes a choice for us? How does God make this, this, this choice for us? God does that by sending to us prophets, that they teach us or they teach them the paths of, of God and bring us back into Teshuvah. Moreover, even the very ability that we have in our intellect to understand and to comprehend and to find the truth on our own and to understand why our choices yesterday, today we understand they are no longer correct. Because this is something that can be achieved by every human. She called That so long as a person is engaged, he's immersed, on the ways of wisdom and and righteousness. <speaking in Hebrew> These are things, the truth is something that a person is inclined to be drawn to. <speaking in Hebrew> That's what Chachamim <speaking in Hebrew> said. <speaking in Hebrew> if a person comes to purify himself, <speaking in Hebrew> you'll find that he's aided by someone. <speaking> in, <Hebrew> in, in other words, he's going to find that he's he has help from from a God. Vahalokatuv b'torah now comes a different uh, point, which is whether freedom, the individual freedom also applies to the collective. And that is something a little more complicated. So those who are not concentrating, maybe you should tune in a little more right now. otam It's in the Torah about the mitzrim that they are you'll know you should know that in, four, in about 400 years time or until 400 years from now there is going to be a time in which um, they are going your children are going to go to a land that's not theirs and in that land the nation living in that land is going to enslave them and is going to make them suffer, oppress them so it would seem that the Egyptians had no choice. God had told this to Abraham. It, this is a little different than what we said before of God knowing the future, because right now we have a human being knowing the future. Abraham knows that the Midrashim are going to do this, or that someone is going to do this. So it's not like you can say, "Well, Abraham doesn't know the way we know." No, Abraham does know the way we know. Vechatuv, or also when Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael, again, other human beings know this. <clears throat> and Hashem tells Moshe in, in uh, before Hazinu, this nation is going to rise, Vezana and they are going to prostitute themselves after the deities, the gods of the land. So if God was decreeing upon Am Israel to do Avodazara, then why should he punish us? Because this decree was never meant individually. Every single individual has the choice to rise above the collective. And even if the collective has some sort of predetermination, and God determines the direction of a certain nation, this does not affect the individual. This is a tremendously profound concept. We are just scratching the surface here. I just want to alert you. It's a tremendously profound concept worth thinking about, and studying about, and whenever you come across anything in this area, to come back to this Halakha and restudy it. Each and every person in that group if, if um, Israel, if they wanted not to worship Abu Zarah, they still have the choice. And God was foretelling Abraham or Moshe Benu what's going to happen generally, generally in the world. Bore Olam governs the world. We don't understand how, but he governs the world through statistics. And I'm going to give it a separate example. The world works. Statistically. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's something that um, you see it every single day. You go to the doctors or to the DMV, and it so happens that although you got there on a Tuesday morning, um, 53 other people decided to get there on a Tuesday morning. And guess what? Every Tuesday morning, it's roughly the same number of people. How could it be? Did anyone control each of these 53 people to decide to come that day? So you should know. Look around. The world behaves through statistics. The world behaves through generalities. There is general rules that some things tend to happen in general terms. And statistical aberrations, things out of the ordinary, are very, very rare. This is one of the beauties, one of of the amazing things about how smoothly this world operates, but always seems, things seem to fall within their, the, magne- the, the largest magnitude of statistical probability. If there is a 99% chance that something will happen, we more or less rely on that that's the way it's going to happen. And by the way, everything around us is a matter of statistics. Nothing is 100%. Nothing is 0%. Another example, Zerambam, I don't think you should have a hard time understanding this because we don't have a hard time also if someone tells you generally, you should know, in this nation there is going to be good people and bad people. Now, from there, although we are logically saying the same thing, Right? Because if everyone decided to be a sadiq, that statement would no longer be correct. Intuitively, it feels less offensive to us. But you'll understand intuitively also that within that group in which we said some will be good, some will be bad, no one can say, hey, I was the one of the ones who need to be bad and I must be bad right now. Just like the Torah says also that there is always going to be someone poor for us to take care of and when it tells us about the Misvav Sidaka. And so too you can apply the same principle for the Egyptians. Each one individually who chose to act badly towards Am Israel. <speaking in Hebrew> if he did not want to do so, he was free to do so, to not do so. <speaking in Hebrew> because Boreolam did not decree upon an individual person. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Rather, he told Abraham Avinu <speaking> in <Hebrew> that in the end, his descendants, his offspring, is going to be enslaved <speaking> in, <Hebrew> in a land that's not theirs. <speaking in Hebrew> And if this leads you to back to the question, okay, so how did God know all of this? We already said, we don't deal, we're not in the business of understanding how God understands. It's way, way, way above our pay grade or anything humans can do. I want to finish with a few minutes of an observation. This happens to me when I was studying psychology in Yeshiva University a few years ago, and it occurred to me that it's very, very difficult to understand or to accept the concept of freedom of choice, especially studying psychology. Again, psychology is based on the premise that there is no freedom of choice. You're trying to understand the reasons for behavior. And I came to the conclusion, again, take it or leave it, it's my own conclusion, that freedom of choice is not natural. In fact, it's not found in most people most of the time. It should shock us more that we are able to choose than to shock us than par- that par'o can sometimes not have a choice. So the way to explain it, I think, is that freedom of choice is this kind of a divine enlightenment, this kind of divine light of opening our mind, this spark of, of this, uh, this moment of, haha, I understand now, what was I doing? which is something that God might, in His uh, infinite kindness, bestow upon us, give us as, as, as a gift. And when He takes the freedom of choice from us, it's not that He's causing us to act one way or another, but He's simply, passively, not giving us that choice. So let me explain. If I'm set on doing something, let's say I am par'o and I'm convinced it's the right thing, to enslave the Jewish people. Do you think if you went to Par'o and you asked them, Par'o, when you wake up in the morning and you look at the mirror, do you see yourself as a good person or as a bad person? Of course it's would say a good person. Every single bad person that ever lived, including Hitler, Bin Laden, and you name it, every single person always thought of themselves as good as doing the right thing, which comes to show you how difficult the concept is to understand. I want to use a word that I'm going to use very loosely, but naturally, again, I'm using this word loosely, naturally a person should not have the choice to change the way they're acting. And there needs to be an external factor, an external factor, namely a prophet coming and showing us the way or an idea coming from outside that makes me want to change direction because the direction that I have is a logical outcome of all the things that I hold as true premises in my mind. Okay? So those premises need to change. And they change externally or, and this is where psychology finds its limit, humans have the ability to reprogram the premises that they hold as true internally. That is Teshuvah. That is this kind of a light that David HaMelech was praying for, of Borea olam, opening our eyes internally to make us realize, to see ourselves or our premises more objectively and be able to reprogram them so that the logical consequence, the logical outcome, our choices based on those premises can be different. And Par'ol, by acting the way he acted, was just becoming undeserving of this very, very high human perk, which is the ability to reprogram the way you think. So with this, we finish chapter six and we are going to start chapter seven in a few minutes.